Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I am one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson, and I'm sitting across from the indelible, the suave, the... What is that word? I don't know. I think you just said I uh, something. Casey Clap. I love you, Alex Croson. Oh, buddy. Thank you for that. I don't mean to bring it up, but it sounds like you're a bit exasperated right now. What have you been doing all <laughs> Casey, as you full well know, you and I have spent the last mm, five hours. Five hours. On our taxes. What fun, you guys. Boy, oh boy, it's tax season here in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and all of the trees are crumbling and turning black and dying. Uh, certainly my heart is, Casey. Yeah. It's it's a, an aspect of business I just despise, of life, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, it is. I mean, of it, yeah. capitalism. Death and taxes, they say. It's the oh, only two things you'll never avoid. That's right. Well, as it works out, I will admit, though, it is a problem of success. Our taxes would be really easy if we did not have a, a successful sort of uh, thing going here. We had a bunch of people listening to us, and you know, so it's kind of like, all right, you know, we can complain, but at the same time, we must acknowledge that privilege that we are, you know, doing some good. Yeah, we're, we're doing all right. We made That's a little good. bit of money last year, and... Uh, now we have to tell the government about it. Yeah. And let's, Casey, let's do our annual reading of the numbers. I'll go first. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, <laughs> Tree one. not those numbers (laughs) oh geez sorry anyway Uh, yeah we'll tell you guys sometime yeah we'll we'll do like an uh i don't want to no i don't want to promise that (laughs) yeah we're gonna cut this part out (laughs) casey uh besides our grueling tax morning we also uh taxing morning wow yeah you missed that you walked right over it very well done there's a snake it would have bit you yeah 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 I'm a little ashamed. No, don't be. I should be also. Uh, we also, we, we had the joy and the honor of recording an episode today to cool off a bit. Just chill out a little. Uh, release the steam vents. Yeah, exactly. And talk about a very cool tree, a much requested tree, I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah, it is. The paper birch. Ugh. Yep, that's the one. Now you call it betula. Mm-hmm. Betula. Papyrifera. Yes, that's right. I call it betula. Papyrifera. Hey, you know what? Some say uh, betula, some say jacaranda. That's what are you right. Do? You know what we always say on the show? 
Your cones are your own. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And your pronunciation of things. And your pronunciation, unless it's horribly wrong, in which case you need to you need to figure that out. For many word for many years, my friend George uh pronounced the word Q like you're standing in a Q uh-huh. as Quay. Oh. Because wow. he had never heard it said out loud. Yeah, he just read it with all the E's and U's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's pretty reasonable. I think I would have I mean, I like that. I like th- I like taking something and like doing it. I feel like that is what helps language change, doesn't it? A little bit, maybe. Yeah, no? he al- he also called our podcast offhandedly completely arboratory. Ah, well, that's pretty good. Better than uh, what was it? Um, uh, uh, oh, not completely. T- totally, totally, totally arbitrary. Arbitrary. <laughs> Spelled correctly. Yeah, perfect. That's Somebody a recommended show. our podcast and said you should listen to Totally Arbitrary. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, to Tobin Mitnick, and he was like, "Yeah, I was, I was their first guest back then." <laughs> anyway, we also appreciate that listener for for telling people about of it. Course. To be very specific, although we would have to say one correction to be made: the name <laughs> of the thing you're yeah. suggesting. But we, we love you nonetheless. We pat you on the head. We give you a little rustle of the hair. You uh, send you down and go get a juice from the nurse. And R R O T H, as they say. Yes, exactly. Casey. Let's imagine, as we do every episode, that you and I are walking through a college campus, if you will, mm. and we come across some very papery-looking birch trees, mm-hmm. yep. and I ask what they are, foolishly. Foolishly. Uh, Casey, let's ID this tree. All right, Alex. This is an easy tree to ID, although yeah. it also has some nuances to it that kind of make it a little bit of more of a challenge. Okay. Uh, but, so you're walking over, you see this big tree, and it kind of has this this form to it of an upright, scraggly-looking poof ball. Mm. There's nothing like too like wow gorgeous about it. It's its architecture is not stunning. It wow. doesn't have such a a perfect form to where you say, "I must shed a tear on this soil for the beauty." Has taken me. Wow! You don't say that when you see a bird. So tree. dramatic. Yeah, exactly. But that's that's the thing. Everyone thinks that that's what they're going to see when they see this tree. They don't. It's just a big poofy little uh, little green thing. It leaves uh, from afar are somewhat see through. Like it's not a dense dense canopy mm. like um, a beech tree, for instance. You could not even see through a beech tree canopy. Okay. But the birch tree, it's a very wispy-looking tree uh, overall. Lightish green uh, foliage. The leaves are doubly serrate and kind of in a triangular, chordate, harped, heart-looking kind of shape. Wow. And uh, Let, Let's, hold on. You sorry. threw a lot of terms out there. I, did, I know I? them. Probably a lot of our listeners do. That's a good point. But let's let's briefly go over those bullet points. Yep. Double serration. Double serration on the margins of the leaf. This means that there are serrations around the edge of the leaf. Yes. But there are two serrations. There's serrations between the serrations. There are serrations on the serrations. Yes. Yes. This is like a little tiny knife that has a fractal of a little tiny knife on each one of its little knife blades. That a mouse might cut to, to use to cut his steak. Exactly. Cordate. Cordate. Heart-shaped. That's exactly right. From the Latin... Cordata mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, coronary, uh, etc. etc. Yeah. Those all come from cord- cordata. Exactly, meaning uh, heart shaped, which yes. is ironic because your heart is not shaped the way that they're talking about. So you know what I mean, like right. uh, the heart that we draw, like those two big lobes on either side, the point at the bottom. Yeah, uh, that is not according to what I last saw. An actual human heart looks like, unless you're the Grinch. 
I guess that's true, in which case, yeah, that, the, they have, uh, like, uh, x-ray proof that that's exactly what the Grinch's heart looks like. Yeah. Yeah, good point. When it beats, it goes, boom, boom, yeah. boom, 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 boom. So these leaves are also, they're alternately arranged. So you're looking at this opposite, they're alternately arranged buds going down the stem. Very skinny, skinny stems. Uh, leaves are small, skinny little twigs, right? Yeah, yeah. It doesn't need to be big. They're also... Not like super pendulous, but they, they kind of go out and kind of hang down a little bit. Mm. It's not, not, there's another species, the European white birch. Some call it the silver birch over in Europe. And it is uh, pendulous. It's called Betula pendula. Oh. And its branches grow up. Its twigs hang straight down. So it looks like a big shag carpet or Interesting. Like, a, like a woolly bear or something like that. Like uh, we, we talked about, um, well, this isn't quite the same, but tree, uh-huh. Trees of Heaven. Yeah. Have that kind of like shopping bag look, like they're ah. just holding a bunch of bags. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But those are not leaves, as I'm recalling. Those are seeds. Correct. Ignore yeah. me. No one's going to do that, Alex. Well, Casey, the real star of the show here, can we just cut the crap? Yeah. For once in our lives. Jeez. Uh, you know what? I'm fine. It's in the name, Casey. It is. Paperifera. Ah. The bark. Oh, God. It's a beautiful paper barked birch tree. <laughs> yeah. And the, it's true. It has this bark that is sublime in its color, its shape, what it does. It is like the color of the trees that are behind the Appaloosa horses in those horse paintings that everyone has. Yes. It's what it is. And like that, it's it's beautiful. I'll admit it. I, I, I'm with you. It's, it's very cherry-like. Is it a... It is, Are they related? Yeah. They're, they are not related it's other the Rose than... family. They're not in the same family at all. It's okay. Betulaceae. It's its own family. Okay. Um, the fruits of the birch tree are these little catkins, and a catkin is essentially a long central kind of uh, uh, axle, let's call it, kind of mm. like a cone, but then around it is all the little flowers that come off. So it would be like a long central spike with a bunch of little flowers coming off, but they're in these like circular cylindrical things that hang down. Yeah. Some of those in some species uh, in this family would be woody, like the alder. Others uh, would be way harder, uh, but only like they would fall apart halfway through. So this, they're called little nutlets. So their fruit is a catkin with these little tiny nutlets, which are essentially these little tiny seeds that um, uh, have these little wings around them. So they kind of flutter away. They're they're kind of cool looking. Yeah, they're not bad. I I really enjoy them. I like to. You can find them hanging uh, in uh, the winter time and during the fall. So during the fall, they really start to just completely fall apart. But during the winter, you can actually see them hanging on the tree in a lot of times, and uh, that lets you know that it's a birch tree. Um, you can also see that with alder and some other species. Well, let's get back to the bark, Casey. Let's get back to the bark. It looks like cherry. Cherries have a completely different way of reproducing. They don't have these catkins, um, but their bark is doing essentially the same thing, where they have these horizontal lenticels yes. on very, very um, thin bark. It's very thin. It's very smooth. And then these white lines, or these dark lines on the white bark, that go chugoo, 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 and the kind of look like um uh you know those uh uh those little things that you you spin and they they make music like a little music box kind of thing oh yeah and then you have these like those little uh they're like cylinders right uh-huh. and then each cylinder though has a little metal thing with a little bit that comes up like a little tooth yeah and then you spin it and it goes bing 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 yes. bing bing that's what i see like like if it was a big big roll or like a uh a, uh a, you know pianos that play themselves? Yes, the piano roll. It looks like the piano roll. Okay. To me. 
That's that's what I mainly see. A fine, I, a fine judgment. Mind. Thank you. I, I everyone's listening. They're thinking, "Wow, this guy can describe stuff real good." Uh, yeah. Uh, and I also, while we're defining terms, mm-hmm. these lenticels yeah. are. Uh, I I, th- I like to think of them as like um, uh, when you've in a cartoon when mm-hmm. somebody farts so hard that they rip their jeans. Oh wow. Okay. Because they're gas exchange ports. They are gas exchange ports on the tree. So you're saying that that basically this tree is is farting along its entire its entire like circumference. And it rips the bark open. The bark is just like, whoa. Yeah. Who ripped? Right. The birch did. It was birch. Okay. Is that good? Yeah, I think that's good, honestly. Yeah. It's a a fart joke and a tree term all put together. Well, I'm not one for (laughs) fart jokes. It wasn't even a joke. I just mean I mean It really does look like <laughs> it really does look like that split pants. All right, that is. I think that's fair. I, Not I'll, look like it is. It is a. Uh, it is an analogy I'm using. Yes. I yeah. I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. A, a practical analogy. Yeah. Which yeah, it helps you remember it. Like oh, what's the one of those lentils do? They look like split. Oh yeah. I remember. Yes. I think it's good. Two other characteristics of this bark. Yes. The paperiness, which the, we should talk about. Yep. And. The eyeballs. Ah, yes, agreed. That was a question that came up a while back, wasn't it? In one of our uh, one of our shows, someone said, oh. "What are these?" Oh, the eyeballs. Mm-hmm. I know what they are. Yeah. Well, you, you, do you want to say it? You're the tree guy. No, uh, no, go for it. Those are where limbs have fallen off, and they don't compartmentalize. It's excellent. So they just leave these big black spots that look like they the shape of eyeballs. Almost, they do compartmentalize. So the yes. they it's essentially where the bark and the tree branch meet. So the bark isn't quite as smooth there, so it doesn't develop that same smooth characteristic where it does where there's are no branches. That's what um, I meant. You 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 got it right. And then once that uh, let's say you clip that branch off, the tree will then compartmentalize over that, and then over time. As the tree uh, puts on new layers of wood, then all of a sudden it'll look uh, it'll look like one nice big cylinder again, most yeah, likely. Okay. However, it also does have this beautiful papery exfoliating bark. Is the term exfoliating the term de Provence? Yes. They the bark every single year uh, instead of like in a, uh, a ponderosa pine or any other fir, a lot of oak trees. Every single year, the bark keeps together with the bark that was made the last year. Say that again, please. Yeah. So the bark, uh, year one, Uh then as year two happens, there's there's a new layer underneath. What? Sorry I yelled at you. That's okay. It was was confusing. It was almost like a teacher being like, one more time, (laughs) say it better. Year one. Year one. You have uh, have, uh, a nice, perfectly... uh, formed bark layer year two another layer comes underneath it right okay. directly underneath it the cambium just basically says pump 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 and they get a new one yeah so then as that happens you then have a cylinder that's being built inside another cylinder so mm-hmm. the outer cylinder has to kind of split right because it's now too small to fit inside or to have another one built inside of it that's a little bit bigger right? as the tree is expanding outwards from the inside. So it starts going, it starts going older trees of oaks and other, other different kinds. They will keep all of those bits together and then a rip will happen, but the bark is so tough and so uh, like combined with each layer that you start getting these big furrows like you see in a Douglas fir mm-hmm. and all these other kinds of trees where you get these big furrows that are essentially rips on the outer bark but they all still stick together so you have these big gigantic furrows of big thick bark 
When this happens to the birch tree, birches will not maintain those big, thick layers outwards. Once they start growing out and rips happen, essentially the outer bark like curls off and it's just like, I don't, I'm not needed anymore. And it just kind of disappears. Wow. So it doesn't actually stay together in all these big layers. Slowly but surely, it will always come off. Not always. I mean, over time. So instead of furrowing, it just, it just, takes off yes and this is specifically the paper bark as well as a couple other species there's many different species of birch tree um so in this case the uh the paper birch and say the uh jack montii birch and the um the sweet birch like these these all all these kinds have these this bark that does it sometimes it's a little bit different colors but like the european white birch mm-hmm. as it ages in the lower sections it starts to get this really big thick furrowed bark where it doesn't exfoliate anymore then it starts to develop those big craggy looking splotches i've also yeah i've seen i've seen other exfoliating bark trees that mm-hmm. don't don't peel in the same way the paper birch does. Yeah. They sort of come off in like a camouflage, like patchiness. Oh yeah, sure, sure. You know, what's one I'm thinking of? Like, uh, what's one of those camouflage barks? Yeah, the London plane tree does that, and the stewardia does that, and the uh, another puzzle piece bark. Oh, there's oh, a eucalyptus. A, yeah, I was gonna say is eucalyptus. It's famous for it's like a rainbow eucalyptus. Yes, that's right. That kind. Uh, someone's gonna correct me. I'm sure that's not the actual name of it. Uh, and then there's a there's a few others. Definitely the London plane tree is is famous for this. Yeah, those those exfoliate in in more like uh, flat pieces. Ah, okay. You know, rather than a very strict puzzle piece. Let's see. The, or no, uh, no, no. Rather than a no, no, no. I'm saying I'm saying those those seem to exfoliate more. Um, Less curly in a, in a curly uh, way. Yes, correct. Yeah, the paper birch. Exactly is it just because it's the paper birch bark is thinner? You know, I don't know. It probably just has developed a lot of strength in the in the the horizontal kind of tensile strength. But then when they rip, oh. they kind of curl themselves up because they really like hold together. In fact, they're waterproof that way. You can flip them upside down, uh, like over a bunch of wood or something you want to keep dry. People made canoes out of them for a wow. long, long time. So I think that it has more to do with the the bark is just stronger in that orientation. So then when it finally does rip, then you can like pull it off as one big thing. Okay. It's just the way it grows as opposed to it um, kind of growing out, but then almost compartmental, not even compartmentalizing, just maybe it's just not connected or they have different um, uh, cell connections for whatever reason. Sure. Yeah, I don't okay. have a good answer for you. I was just curious. Yeah. Well, the other, the way you can tell a paper birch is if it has this like bone white peely bark. It has mm. to be both peely and bone white and the, the bone whiteness and the smoothness will go all the way down to the ground. Other species, mm. it will not go all the way down to the ground. It'll stay a little bit higher. Um, however, there are trees that look very, very close to it. Another one's the uh, Betula jackmontii, and a lot of times I think that's also, um, there's another name for it. It might have actually switched the name. It's called the Himalayan birch, and the Himalayan birch um, is... A very, very commonly planted tree as well. Looks almost exactly the same. They're extremely hard to uh, to pick out, like what the difference is between them. Um, but the one's leaf is a little bit bigger and a little darker green and has, uh, you know, maybe singular serrations or very small double serrations, that kind of thing. So they're, okay. they're really, really tough to tell apart. Um, and they grow in 
completely different parts of the world. Himalayas versus essentially all of North America from Washington, Oregon, uh, Montana, Pennsylvania, north, but from the West Coast to the East Coast. Hmm. So very thorough in Canada. Canada's got them from start to finish. Really? The paper birch? Uh-huh. Paper birch specifically. Um, Casey, you mentioned that the paper birch is kind of scraggly and floofy. <sighs> yeah, it uh, is. Is it is it a kind of a weak tree? Like we talked about the willow mm. and how you can just like blow uh-huh. on it and it'll explode. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Is is a it's a paper birch like not a storm weatherer? Uh, it isn't. It is not. Okay. It is a tree that is used to growing and living for maybe 50, 60, 70 years and then dying. Crapping out. Yeah. It doesn't have a whole, it's not like the best compartmentalizer ever. It does not focus on, you know, being super decay resistant. It is just kind of chilling. It'll grow up, send out a billion seeds, and then just be like, ah! fall over that is a strategy it's a strategy but it also just ruins everything because they they are planted everywhere wow like everyone thinks oh a beautiful birch yeah yeah they think it's great and then they plant them all over the place they grow up and everyone's like oh it is really nice and then an ice storm comes and they're all just like wow and they break and they turn into like these crazy snaggy looking things yeah which if you plant them if they're growing in their native habitat where there's snow and ice all the time they just kind of take these conditions but also they've been built by those conditions as they grow up so the trees themselves are like architecturally not designed but like reactive to that because they as they grow up they get covered by snow they get really strong either withstand or they break and then regrow and you get this like this tree that is able to withstand these conditions Hmm. but you grow it in a nursery in oregon and it has like almost no ice or snow to deal with whatsoever then it gets like that every three or four year ice storm and then it just rips it apart and you have this really disgusting looking tree that's like not even kind of that pretty in the first place well Everyone just wants to plant them because they have the bark, Alex. This sounds like a lot of uh, clapaganda. This is a lot of clapaganda, and that is that. You know what? That's the way it is. You're listening to this podcast. You're going to get clapaganda. Yeah, I guess so. That's why we make it. Well, before we get into the paper birch, more Casey and the surrounding topic, which mm-hmm. I have not looked at the document. It's I don't know exciting. what we're talking about today. Yeah, you think we're going to be talking about something really scary and bad because uh, you know what? This is a, you know, well, we'll talk about it later. Yes. And later is after the break. We'll be right back with more completely arbitrary. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Why don't you? We're taking a stroll. See, this is the problem, Casey. I meant to say we're talking, but I accidentally said taken, and I decided to roll with it. Oh, yeah. But I couldn't think of anything to follow taking a stroll down a subject of a tree. No. Yeah, there you go. No. Can I tell you a secret? You probably already know. What? That's how I talk most of the time. No shit. I just accidentally say a word. 
and then somehow try to pull myself out of it Casey. by using other words. I, I know this. I know you do. We Everyone all know knows this. this. Everyone collectively is like, Casey, that's not a secret, man. That's your most annoying trait. <laughs> no, it's just characteristic. That's... <laughs> I appreciate you. Today, we're talking the paper birch, Betula papyrifera, or Betula papyrifera, if you're nasty. Casey, I see that today we're talking competition in forests. That's right, we are. That's right, we are. I'm going to let you uh, uh, take the ball and run with it. Okay, I appreciate it. But I will be right behind you, blocking for defense, and into the end zone we go. Yep, here we go. Here we go, and the birch grows up. It's good. All right. Okay. So I was kind of alluding to a little bit of some, uh, I think the term was that you used is clapaganda. Yes. Fabulous term, by the way, um, about how much I, I just don't really like this tree. Sure. Before we get into what I don't like about this tree, I want to get into what I love about this tree. That's a bad sign. I want to make sure that I give this tree what it deserves, before, where it deserves <laughs> before it. Before you tear it apart. So, uh, you've heard of the book. We've talked about it multiple times. Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne, Suzanne Samard. Now, if this book has gotten lots of press lately. We're going to give it a little bit more. Okay. Um, I am I've nearly done uh, reading through it. Everybody has, and if you haven't, go pick it up. You can find it on our website. Uh, you can also find it at your local bookstore, which we highly encourage. Yes. Um, the thing about it is Suzanne Samard essentially is a forestry worker, uh, was working for the forestry doing research up in uh, Canada. And she actually went to Oregon State University, got her master's and PhD. So that's my alma mater. Thank you wow. for doing your best and then running back to Canada when you absolutely got shut down. Coward. No, no, no. I have to admit, anyone who is not a coward uh, is, is not her. Well, so, of course, I was kidding. Yes, I know, because you had to run from it. Yeah. Anyway, Alex. <sighs> trying to fucking paint me into a corner. <laughs> no one puts Alex in a corner, <laughs> unless it's Alex himself. Sometimes he really feels comfortable there. So, as it works out, um, are you familiar with forestry, Alex? Uh, loosely. Now, do you know the idea of replanting trees? Yes, After reforestation. Exactly. So that has a lot of terms and a lot of connotations to it. Okay. Um, in the forestry world, reforestation is just the laws that make you have to replant trees after you cut them all down. Got it. Now, if you do that, the companies are like, okay, we want to spend as little as money as possible on this acre of land for the maximum benefits. Like big trees, healthy trees, trees that are, you know, get a good profit. We want to get in there, cut them all down, and get them all out as efficiently as possible. Typical. Whatever we have to leave is is a loss of profit, and sometimes you have to leave us snags, you know, for a different amount of forest habitat. You have to stay out of the creeks. You have to not on this steep slope. These kinds of things, right? Okay. So it kind of always, you know, you you lose a bunch in there. So they're like, get all the trees out. Once they're out, they're like, we don't want to come back in. The rules are you have to replant a tree. So if you replant a tree, um, the second thing that comes in about kind of forestry and trees and interaction is uh, when you replant this tree, you want to make sure that there's no nothing competing with it to grow, right? Okay, that makes sense. It does, doesn't it, Alex? Oh. 
Now, so here's where Suzanne Samard comes in. So what we just kind of quickly discussed is essentially you cut down a bunch of trees and then you have to replant the forest in quotes, which is essentially a plantation to be cut down again at some other time. Okay, It's not quite rebuilding a forest. And the reason about this is long and convoluted. You'll have to go to patreon.com slash arbitrary pod and sign up for a uh, extra extra uh, bonus episodes where we'll talk about that. I'm not doing that. Oh, come on, Alex. It's worth your time. In fact, if you go up to anyway, we'll I'll skip over. <laughs> Use coupon code. <laughs> no, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. We don't have. Yeah, we don't have any codes for the right. Patreon. So what it uh, as it works out is we have always thought of how how do plants work? How do they interact? It's competition. Every plant for itself. Every plant yeah. is going to be fighting, and if it cannot compete, it shall die. Mm. So very capitalist response to you know the way the world works. Who knows which came first? Our idea that that's how nature worked, or our idea of how we could view nature working that's similar to how we work competition. Interesting. I don't know. I, I'm not going to, this is not what we're talking about today. It's, it's an interesting thought. Exactly. Let that, let that, you know, grow in your brain. A little, little brain bit. exercise. Yeah. So the idea though is, hmm. you know, if you have a bunch of trees, they must be working against each other because they're both trying to get up to the sky and take as much resources as possible to be the best that they can be. Yeah. So Suzanne started looking at the forest and being like, what is exactly, like, is this actually the case? Because she started noticing in these certain plantations that certain trees were just dying. Like, just what, what, what is going on? We've killed all the other plants that could be around competing with it, yet it's still just like turning yellow and just dying. What's going on? Just on its own. Just on its own. Yeah. So it's it, well, it's in a you know a big forest. It's in a plot of land that when there were trees on there, we called it a forest. You know, a plot of land designed to grow things. So yeah. why are these things dying randomly? Exactly. And before we cut them all down, there was a big, huge, healthy forest that was untouched that was doing great. Yeah. So why now when we replant these little tiny seedlings, do they suck? Mm. Are they having such a horrible time? So she started noticing, and this had been noticed way before. The this uh, specific researcher went out and said, what is this? Uh, mycorrhizal fungi. We've talked about this before, Alex. You remember? Have we ever? Have we ever? Well, should we give a quick defo, as uh, they might say in England? I, I think we should, mate. <laughs> so uh, the defo of mycorrhizal fungi is essentially uh, a fungus that creates a symbiotic relationship with a tree or any other plant for that matter. Yes. Could be a grass, could be a bush, could be another, you know, several different trees. And there are a couple main kinds. The first one is, uh, it's called ectomycorrhizal fungi or arbiscular which is essentially they go into or they go around, I'm sorry, those are two different kinds. Ecto just go around and they make this sheath on the outside of the roots. Right. And they interact with the roots, but it's essentially like you put yourself in a power glove and that power glove connects you to the internet. Like the Nintendo power glove? Very similar, except it's connected with strings to everything else. And it works? Yeah, and you don't move anywhere. Yeah, of course it works, yeah. So then that is the um uh that is this this one kind called ecto ecto, ecto. mycorrhizal fungi. Yes, and then endomycorrhizal fungi is ones that go inside the actual um the roots itself. Yeah. The endo is also called arbiscular because it kind of pops into the root and then whoop, makes a little tree looking uh a tree looking growth filament inside the root cell hmm. or the cell of the plant. And so it makes this connection where they actually like literally they're like uh braided into each other where it's now the cell and the fungi are all just one big connection. Okay. So 
there's a bunch of other complications that come into this. Uh, we're going to kind of skip over it, but there's also some that only go on certain kinds of trees. Um, there's ericoid mycorrhizal fungi, which only get on ericaceous plants. So you're, uh, anything in the ericaceae family, like arbutus, the madrone, and manzanita, and rhododendron, mm. and huckleberries, that kind of thing. What is the paywen family? Arcase, uh, uh, arcaria. Arcaria, okay. Yeah, and I don't know Different. what, yeah, I don't know what kind that has. That's fine. But it certainly I just helps. was mixing up those two words. Oh, gotcha. Yes. Um, so basically, that's what uh, that's what mycorrhizal fungi is, and it comes from the Greek myco, meaning fungus, and uh, rhizo, meaning root. So it's literally root fungus. There you go. So great defo. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thanks for that defo. So we ended up uh, learning about these a long time ago, and we found like there are a the majority, the vast majority of fungus that you find, fungi that you find in the forest are mycorrhizal fungi. Mm. The vast not majority is going to be parasitic fungus that minority. actually, huh? Minority. Huh. Never heard that term before, actually. Did you just make that up? I don't really see the world through that lens. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> So I see worlds through major and minor minority. Or Matt, God dang it. Major and minor majorities? Yes, thank you. Oh, you're the most minor majority, so <laughs> you don't get a lot of votes. So you have um, this idea of you know, the most fungus that's growing in a forest is growing in relation in a symbiotic relationship with all of the plants that are growing there. And I mean like a huge majority. Mm. Um, the, the other small fungus that are around are the parasitic ones that go in and they essentially latch onto something and, and slowly take its nutrients. There's other decay fungus that are saprophytic and they'll go in and kill things outright. Like they will actively attack and kill a living thing. But really they're just, they're eating it alive essentially. Wow. Until it dies. Um, armillaria is an example of this kind of fungus. It's a parasitic fungus. So it'll get on a tree, it'll eat it, and it'll attack it, it'll destroy the roots, and that tree will die. And does it just move on after that? Yeah. Well, also, uh, specifically, um, the armillaria can be saprophytic and parasitic. Saprophyte meaning it eats dead wood, essentially. Wow. And parasite meaning it attacks and lives on living wood. Win-win. plants. Yeah, so the tree dies, and it's still just like, nom, 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 nom. Now the party begins. Yeah, exactly. So now it's not even trying near as hard. Yeah. Um, but because of that, it can live on dead wood. So then a new tree grows in that area that's now got this fungus all within it, and that fungus will reach back out and try to attack the new living plant that's growing down there. Hmm. So, what do these new living trees do when they're living in a cesspool of parasites around them? They find a buddy to help them out. This is what Suzanne Samard started to find. Okay. Essentially, the, the common knowledge, the, the going rate was you have a tree that's growing. A Douglas fir, in this case, our old pal. Douglas fir is growing and having a fine time, but then is really starting to struggle after maybe growing a foot. Like, not a, not big. Like, it's a little teeny tiny thing. Um, and you have a birch that's growing next to it. The theory is, well, the, the Douglas fir is not thriving because the birch next to it is taking all the nutrients. It's taking away the shade. It's fighting it for things in the water or in the ground like water and nutrients and things like mm -hmm. that. So they're like, you got to clear out all these competing other plants and select for is the term. Select for the, the objective tree, which would be the Douglas fir. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One more time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you understand it so thoroughly. So this was like the, this was the standard un understanding. 
competition. That's what it was. Always competition. Right. So Suzanne came back and she's like, well, okay, well, this doesn't make any sense because I look over here and I remember from my youth that little baby trees would grow up through very dense overstories or very complex multi-canopy storied forests. Yeah, that's a common thing, right? You have your yeah. understory, you have your... Mm-hmm story and then you have your overstory yeah, you got it that's exactly right there's multiple different stories uh-huh. it's like an elevator shaft yeah i mean that's that's a building is not a bad analogy for it a, really a forest, right? It, it's exactly the case there's different things happening at all these different levels yeah but in this case they're mostly focused on like the the resources so the light that's coming through so essentially what she started to do suzanne was like well let's let's like see if there's something to this, started asking the questions, are these trees working together? Because, for example, the alder has these little species of bacteria that mm-hmm. live in the uh, in the roots, or on the roots, actually. They create little nodules off of root hairs, and it's called frankia, I believe is this one. And frankia is a, um, a nitrogen-fixing bacteria live in the in the roots so they make nitrogen out of the soil and out of the air whatever comes down from uh to it and then gives it to the tree and the tree then gives it these uh these other nutrients and photosynthase sugars essentially coming down from the tree it's a good trade yeah it's a great trade everyone's really super stoked some of this nitrogen goes back into the soil or maybe it falls from the leaves um but it turns out that it's actually a little more complicated than that they thought literally oh this it literally just comes from the leaves and decaying material that's how nitrogen comes back in the soil suzanne was like i bet you it's a little more complicated than that she noticed that there is all these mycorrhizal fungi underneath these trees and i bring up alder and I'll, we'll come back to that in a second okay so she also noticed that there are mycorrhizal connections between Douglas fir and the white birch. Wow. The, the paper birch. They call them both. Specifically the two of those. Exactly. Hmm. And there turns out that there are several different species, I think like up to 10 or more, that will be a mycorrhizal fungi between these two unrelated species. Hmm. So they are what we call host generalists. Where wow. They, they can grab onto anyone around them. Okay. Now they tend to like to focus on certain species um, so that they would maybe want to do uh, only things in the pine family, only things in the birch family, that kind of thing. Sometimes they're only birch, sometimes they're only Douglas fir, they're only this species of pine or something like that. Wait, then how are they generalists? Sorry, I was also giving examples of other kinds. Oh. So yes, so I should go back. There are host generalists, which can do everything. Yeah, I moved on without telling anyone I was moving on. Anyway, next slide. That's never happened before. That's weird, yeah. So there's a host generalist, Sorry. which will latch on to just about anybody. They'll be like, yeah, whatever. You got roots? I'm into it. Some will, or some trees, though, only want uh, ectomycorrhizal. Some mm. only want endomycorrhizal. Some are just like, uh, they'll only take ericoid mycorrhizal. So if you are a host generalist mycorrhizal, you're just like, whoever's around and you're into it, I'm into it. Whereas the host specific are like, whoever's around named Douglas, Douglas, only Douglas. Quick question. Go. Who is choosing whom? Ooh. Is the fun because you've 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 yeah. swapped a couple different times in describing the relationships uh-huh. between the trees and the, and the fungi? Yeah. So is the is the fun fungi choosing the tree or is the tree choosing the fungi or both? 
in I, different circumstances? I think it's both. Okay. So there are some that have developed relationships. And these are, so the two trees, or the tree and the fungus have developed these uh, symbiotic relationships. Mm. Uh, who chose whom, I don't know. Sure. It's just that this tree has developed the ability to connect with these fungi. And these fungi have developed the connect or the ability to connect with these trees. But sometimes there are very specific fungi who will only go to, uh, and these are species, that will only be connected to the Douglas fir. Okay. And then there are others that will connect to the Douglas fir and this species of pine and the larch and the birch and the alder. And they, they don't really care. So it sounds like the fungi is sort of the active agent in the relationship. Yeah, the trees are growing there, hoping to connect to right. something. It's sending the first text. I think that's probably the case. Like, it's, but it's. I think they're they're almost. I have to admit, they are sending the first text, but it's a little bit like, hey, I want you because the trees are what's giving all the all the energy and everything down. Right. Yeah. So the trees are just sucking down energy and kind of putting energy out there. Then the text comes that says, hey. You wanna you wanna hang out like mm. you cool? I'm cool. I'm cool if you're cool. I saw in the news you won the lottery. Yeah, so we then, haven't connected in so yeah, long. Yeah. Oh my god, amazing! Yeah. I'm also I just wow, I just went bankrupt. All the other trees died. Right, they really come out of the woodwork, don't they? Case? Oh god, turn off your microphone, Alex. My god, that was unintentional. Truly, Ew, okay, that was a, okay. All right, I'll give you a pass. I'm just naturally witty. You, are, I mean, everyone knows that. No, you can't agree with me. Then yeah, it looks right, like okay. I was being serious. Sorry, yeah, you're not Alex. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thank you. Um, so it's complicated in that regard. So the, the tree's sprout grows. Like a seedling pops, it puts out, it's called radical. And the radical is that very wow. first root that starts to go down. That root that starts going down is literally looking for any fungus around that is a buddy. Okay. Once it finds that, that buddy fungus then says, hey, I'm with you. Let's make a connection. They connect. Some fungus will be like, oh, sorry, I'm only into larches. Eh, this isn't going to work out. Yeah, yeah. And then they move on. Okay. So, but there are so many fungus everywhere. I mean, literally, spores are everywhere. They're ubiquitous in our world. Um, but in the forest, even more so, and there's already like soil fungus just chilling there, just waiting. Or they're already connected to another tree. Mm. <gasps> Oh, sorry. <gasps> there you go. Thanks, Alex. So, but that's uh, this is uh, these these kind of unraveling story that Suzanne Samard started to like figure out. I see. So she's like, "Wow, okay." So there are big trees that have this uh, these fungus already on them. Then little trees start to grow next to it, and that uh, that like new uh, cohort of little trees are underneath the shade of this big tree. Those little trees connect to the same mycorrhizal fungi network that that big tree is connected to. It could be just literally one fungus, like a uh, rhizopogon is the name, and it's uh, this false truffle species. Hmm. And that false truffle species will connect to a Douglas fir and another Douglas fir. And then now they're connected. They could be different species. I'm sorry, not different species. Uh, different individuals from different families, like hmm. different uh, different groups. Like this seed came from those Douglas firs. This tree is, is genetically distinct from that tree. Okay. As long as they're Douglas firs, Rhizopogon is into it. They'll connect them. So there's these Rhizopogon networks that connect all these individual trees. Does that sound like competition to you, Alex? No. Where they're all connecting together? It sounds like community, if it, I'm honest. Uh, it does. And this is the thing. So this, I, I usually try to keep a line like disconnected from like, you know, 
too much anthropomorphizing. You don't want too much heart in these in these uh, yeah, stories. I don't. I think I, rightly so. Exactly. I want to make sure that I'm not being like too you know frilly about about things and say, "Wow, it's so beautiful." I want to be like, "Well, okay, that would be nice, but it maybe isn't quite like that." Right. That dog isn't smiling at you. It's snarling at <laughs> exactly. you. You got to get that. You got to sort that out. Yeah. Well, it turns out that Suzanne was also thinking as a scientist, but thinking this is there's got to be something here because right now I'm seeing these connections through the mycorrhizal fungi between a birch tree, white birch, Betula petporifera, and the Douglas fir. Hmm. Turns out that the the two trees need each other. And this is wow. the literal definition of like an ecosystem. And so you have the birch tree, and it is a better, faster grower than the Douglas fir, hmm. especially when it's young, because the birch tree can just shoot up way quicker. It photosynthesizes faster. It's chosen the hair over the uh, tortoises yeah, in terms of strategies. Okay. Um, the Douglas fir grows a little bit slower, and it can't quite get up to pace. So over time, you see this this competition happening, and you have this this new birch over overtakes this little Douglas fir. Surprising. Exactly. So you're like, okay, but it totally makes sense. Competition killed the birch tree. Sure. It turns out when you kill the birch tree, the Douglas fir then struggles. So the question is, well, what was happening? They were actually sharing. Their nutrients. Wow, through the mycorrhizal fungi. Through the mycorrhizal fungi. Casey. This was stunning. I'm That's reading about this. Amazing. Alex. What I know? Can you even like like? You, for at first, you're like, oh wow, that's nice. They're they're buddies, but it it turns out it's way bigger than that. Yeah. Well, let's hear how. What happens is the birch tree needs the Douglas fir later in life, whereas the Douglas wow. fir doing its lovely tortoise dance ends up getting in or getting way bigger than the birch tree. Not only does it get bigger, it will last for way longer. So it turns out at the very beginning, the Douglas fir needs the birch. And between the two of them, they connect with the same mycorrhizal fungi. Mm -hmm. That fungi wants everybody to win. And the reason the fungi wants everybody to win is because if anybody loses and dies, if that fungus was only on that tree, yeah. it dies too. Right. Because a lot of these are obligates. So if it is an obligate for the Douglas fir, it's in the fungus's interest to connect to as many Douglas firs as it possibly can. Wow. Connecting all those Douglas firs. Then there's this idea of a um, uh, deficit between um, like the, the different um, amounts of things in plants. Um, the idea is if you have a high concentration of something over here and you have a low concentration over here, mm -hmm. that those two kinds of different le levels of concentration through essentially osmosis will want to become in equilibrium. So you'll slowly get the higher concentrations right. to melt into the lower concentrations until they're the same. We've used this analogy before. Uh, putting a hot pot off the stove onto a cool marble countertop, uh -huh. they will eventually reach the same temperature. Exactly. It's the perfect thing. So between this, uh, this thing, it's a very easy, simple concept um, to to kind of uh, figure out, like, how is it going? Like, you're going from, uh, as she describes it, a source to a sink. So mm. your Douglas fir has a, basically doesn't have as many uh, sugars and carbon because it's not as big and it's getting overshadowed, so it's in more shade. So the birch is taking all that carbon, all that photosynthesis, and it's putting it down into the roots. When it goes into the roots, it then goes into the fungus that's there. That wow. fungus then is like, great, 
now I got some, I'm going to eat it. But then over here, there's a sink, there's a deficit of this carbon. So then the carbon naturally moves over to the roots of the Douglas fir. The Douglas fir then can take it up through that fungus. You say sink, S-I-N-K? Yes, okay. exactly. I was thinking S-Y-N-K, which could also make sense. Oh, yes. Uh, or, yeah. S-Y-N-C, excuse They me. are synced <clears throat> to sink. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, yes, that's great. Uh, yes, this is S-I-N-K, is in a source and a sink where you have a source of something and a sink, which is where that thing um, is basically taken. Okay. Um, and where it, it one place creates it, the other place uses it up. That's very interesting. Can I, can I guess where you're going with this story? Yes. That later in life, uh-huh. the fungi takes something from the Douglas fir and gives it to the birch. Exactly right. That's very, that's very cool. It's so cool. And it turns out that this switches just over time. Yeah. And because at one point the Douglas fir is like, now I'm the dominant bear in this little uh, hole. Yeah. And then all of a sudden the birch is like, now I can't get very much light. I can only get like these remnants that come through, Yeah. but it's still connected through that mycorrhizal fungi network. So then all of a sudden, you get the same exact thing, but then the the motion switches, wow. the direction switches, and then the Douglas fir is now supplementing the birch tree. I mean, you know what? We voted you into power, Douglas fir. Now give <laughs> something back to the people. Yeah, exactly. But what's funny about this is that it also the birch also does other things. Um, the birch has uh, during that um, that little quick switch where it starts sending down different carbon yeah. stuff. It, it, some of that just kind of gets released into the soil, just like it just escapes for okay. whatever reason. Um, so as the fungus is doing other things, the there are other things in the soil like this. Uh, um, bacillus um, bacteria. This bacillus bacteria is creating nitrogen in the soil. That nitrogen is getting taken up by the fungus and given to both trees. Mm. Turns out it's also a really good habitat for whatever reason around birches for another fungus, or I'm sorry, another bacteria called pseudomonas. Pseudomonas. Have you heard of this? You No. Oh, you I, I, looked, I looked up ponderously Trying to figure out what that might mean as <laughs> oh, far as okay. Latin. Yeah. Pseudo, of course, uh, false. Yeah, so it's a false monus, probably. Monus, okay. Whatever that means. It's like the Mona Lisa. Yeah, it's it's not, it's a fake, though. Wow. Yeah, this is the kind <gasps> that you would steal from. Sacre boo, it's yeah. a fake. Yeah. Oh! Pseudo monus. <laughs> Turns out that this uh, this little guy, this little uh, the pseudo monus, Alex can't happen. Was my accent too good? Too bad. <laughs> it's just it was all funny. I don't <laughs> it was know. just all funny. <laughs> I got tickled. Well, well, when I was doing arboriculture up in Seattle, we would recommend that people inoculate their areas, um, their land, because of the effects that Pseudomonas has on getting rid of the soil pathogen known as armillaria. Inocula- inoculate? What is that? That means essentially infect uh, with. But infect is, uh, has a bad connotation. So they would say, get yourself inoculated to COVID-19. That oh, would be, that's, that's putting your shot in your oh. arm and giving yourself your inoculated. So I people see. saw that. So it's usually a term that is is uh, used with fungus things. So like if you inoculate something with fungal spores. You're putting, you're putting the fungus into it. Exactly. Okay. Like a tr- like a lot growing mushrooms in a log. Yes, precisely. Right. They literally use that term. Cool. So the uh, pseudomonas, for whatever reason, it fights and actually gets armillaria root fungus to decline in an area. Wow. So as we were saying before, if you are a tree that has no defenses, uh, this armillaria will attack your roots and kill you, and then you die. 
So if you are a birch tree growing, you get a fungal network that's growing out. Mm-hmm. It, for whatever reason, makes that area where you are because of this, all these different interactions and processes really good for this nitrogen-fixing bacteria and this um, bacteria that fights against our malaria. That creates exceptional conditions for who? The Douglas fir. I was going to say it. You just stared directly at me. I was like, uh-oh, he doesn't, he didn't connect. Well, no, I, if I'm being honest, you may. sometimes you ask a question and you answer it yourself. Oh, I see. So I thought you were setting yourself up for a... Gotcha. But I did know Sorry. the answer. Okay, I, you were just you were you were letting me. I thought you were going to you were going to take the the reins on the reveal. Yeah. Next time we should get like a, Do you a, want, a question like signs that says like this one's for you. Like hold it up so we know when to answer each other. <laughs> do you want to do it again? <laughs> Let's do it again. Okay. And I'm not going to edit this out. And so the birch tree, uh-huh. through its interactions with the fungus, creates these conditions where these two other bacteria create great nitrogen and help get rid of our malaria, making that new area deliciously perfect for who? Douglas fir. Alex, how did you know? Yeah. God. That's a great that's you're, a great reveal. You're a good listener. Thank you. So it turns out that this Douglas fir grows the best when grown in a place that is just chock full wow. of birch trees. Now, I should take it back. Not chock full because at one point it might just be that they do get outcompeted by like a dog hair thick, like a canopy of nothing but birch trees. Sure. But if there is a certain balance that you can create, the Douglas fir and pines and larches and other species that grow up there will be perfectly happy Mm. and they will grow together. Maybe they won't grow together as quickly as you would ever want as a forester. Maybe they aren't going to be growing at the same, uh, you know, spacing or something like that because you have to plant them and they kind of end up growing wherever they, they, all these things come into balance. But in the right condition... They groove. And they groove for so much longer and quicker in the long term. Wow. Which we're talking about trees here. So we have to always think in the long term. Where these short term gains where you can kill everything, add a bunch of fertilizer, burn the ground, plant the trees. That's good. They're going to grow and they're going to look like they're going to be great. But then they're just going to kick the bucket because the soil is not built to sustain them Mm. because all of their other homies have gone away. So it brings us back, Alex. To the question of competition versus cooperation. cooperation. Well said. <laughs> it turns out that what Suzanne Smart has kind of figured out, and I don't want to like just like put her she she's on a pedestal because she's an incredible researcher on the cutting uh-huh. edge. Other people, many other people have done this. In fact, she names many other um, researchers who she said, I saw that this other person saw this, so I wanted to test it out myself. Yeah. They had found that. You have a big tree that she calls it the mother tree. That mother tree is like this network hub. Okay. And it is like just destroying it up there, just crushing photosynthesis. And it takes all that photosynthesis, puts it into its trunk, its roots. That thing goes to maybe over 60 or 100 different species of um, mycorrhizal fungi on that one tree alone. Hmm. 
those generalists and those spe- specialist fungi will all be connected to other Douglas firs or other birches or other trees or other plants of any different kind throughout this entire ecosystem, including herbs and all these other things, making some habitats better for other plants, but then worse for others um, or worse for other species like armillaria, which is a root disease. Armillaria will go and kill and eat these things that are stressed and like it has its place because that's just succession of life mm-hmm. in a forest. But you also get these trees giving nutrients and pulling water up from the ground and then giving it to through the fungal networks and this like this balance that they created with this deficit kind of this pressure deficit kind of thing where you end up getting a, a whole entire forest ecosystem that is functioning not out of competition almost at all. In fact, the instant these trees are starting to grow as seedlings, they're connecting to the network that's underground. Right. And that is the basis for their success. So if they're wow. the basis for all of their success is connecting to this network where things are shared, whether or not the trees know it, which people would argue that they do. Some trees will tell if it's their offspring, not the offspring of a different Douglas fir that it's giving its nutrients to. Really? I haven't read that far into the book or, or gotten too far into that in terms of my research. But yes, this is a fact. People are, are noticing these things. So it all of a sudden realizes or makes you realize that you are we are as humans just barely scratching the surface of understanding and right now our we is just becoming so apparent how crude our understanding is that everything is in competition yeah it turns out that yes i'm sure there is an amount of competition out there but that competition is also very much a a cooperative thing where if you are growing as a big tree, you want a bunch of other trees around you because then they can help you when you are stressed. Yeah. And it goes back and forth, just like the birch, just like the Douglas fir. Casey, a fascinating tale. I want to get into our review because I have a lot to say. I want to hear what you have to say. Do you want to go first? No, I would wow. never break tradition in All such right. a way. That's uh, Here's how it works. We're going to give some final thoughts on this tree, Papyrifera batula. Strike that. Reverse it. And then give it a cone rating of 0 to 10, Golden Cones of Honor. Casey, as a resident mm-hmm. expert, we begin with you. All right. Alex, I do not want to see any more birches planted in the urban area whatsoever. Thank you very much. Let's let's uh, let's Anything hit else? our butt. It's overplanted button. Yeah. <clears throat> oh my God! The birch growing out in the forest, doing its thing, and making other trees plant or other trees that are growing survive and thrive. What a spectacular species! Yeah. It also is used to make birch bark canoes. It has uh, waterproof stuff. You can make a little kindling out of it. Uh, mm. or you can find a uh, chaga mushrooms growing on it and make a delicious tea out of it. Wow! All these different things. Spectacular. Wonderful. Every time I see one in the urban area, I just want to cut it down. Here's why. It's two reasons. One, overplanted. So overplanted. Everyone only wants to see a birch because of this bark. They're just like, oh, the bark is so pretty. Plant it. Great. It's okay. not that pretty. It's not that pretty, but that's people love it. Like it's They trendy. just think they're so beautiful. Yeah, which they are. I think the bark is, is lovely. I think it's lovely bark. I'll give it its bark. <laughs> 
However, as the tree grows older, as I noted at the beginning, it looks like this very loosely poofy, you know, there's nothing like, like grandiose or like overly like stunning about the whole crown of the tree and its mm. architecture. It's just kind of this thing that generally wants to grow up, get kind of big, then get overtaken and grow in this weird, swilly, circuitous way in this semi-mid-story, like, you know, uh, elevator stop number four or five on the building of the, of the canopy. That's what I think. Meanwhile, well, how it, big is the building? You oh, have to give it yeah. Context. Sorry, I guess it's like a seven or eight story building. Okay, yeah, and then it dies, and then never the building keeps growing bigger. Got it. Then uh, we also have this horrible uh, insect that's coming around. I don't want to say it's horrible; it's just doing its thing. Can't blame the insect. It is called the bronze birch borer, BBB. BBB. The bronze birch borer will B-B-B. eat and attack the paper birch, the Himalayan birch, the. Uh, European white birch, uh, any birch that is basically hanging out that's not, I think, the uh, the river birch, I think, is, is pretty well, uh, can withstand it. What am I thinking? What's the word? Uh, resistant. Mm. <coughs> but the paper birch dies so quickly and so thoroughly from these trees or for these insects that people plant them all over the place and they're like, they're great, but these trees also cannot take the hot, awful conditions where we plant them. So we plant them, they end up falling apart and you just get this like dead thing that's there. In the forest, love it to death. Yeah. You, everyone, hang out, stay, you're great, I love you. Inside the city, plant maybe one somewhere where it's very cushy and don't let it anywhere near any of these insects, and maybe it'll be fine. Otherwise, overplanted, overdone, get them out, put them in the forest. It's 5.2. All right. I'm going to give it a 5.2, and that extra two, generous, because I don't like ending on zeros. Okay. Should I go down to 4.9? Hey, your cones are your own. 4.9. Okay. There are other trees that I like a little bit better. That was a passionate... Soliloquy, Casey. Oh, God, I feel so... It's just This always takes it out of me when I have to just whip myself back into reality after yeah. talking about this in such a dreamy fashion. Right. I need to go out and go touch one so I, I, I can kind of like make sure it knows I know, that you, it knows that I know. You, you need know? to commune. Yeah, I do. I need to commune. But I got to go like way out to the Wallawas. They don't really grow down the Cascades or anything. We have to find different birches. Hmm. <sighs> All right. Five, uh, 4.9? 5.2. I think it's a 4.9. Uh, 4.9. 4.9. 4.9, and then uh, if you really look closer, 5.2. Okay. In the forest, completely different story, but this is not what we're talking about. Yes. All right. Fair Alex, enough. I'm sorry I'm worked up. No, that's good. Get worked up. I'm sorry I can't yeah. meet you there. I'm very tired. It's okay. I want to see someone else. Uh, I want to hear what other people have to say about this. Mostly you. Well, here it goes. Thank you for that setup. Mm-hmm. I think the paper birch is just okay. Oh, thank God. I don't think it's, you You know, sometimes a a tree will have a very unique characteristic and that's what really makes it for me, mm-hmm. you know? In this one, it would be the bark, surely. Yes, exactly. But this unique characteristic, I don't think is that cool or interesting. Oh. Uh, I think it looks a little shaggy. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a shag bark. <laughs> yeah. Shag bark birch. Shag bark birch. Uh, they're all shag bark birches. There you go. Pretty much. Uh I'm just, I'm not feeling all that passionate about this tree. However, I love the tale, the, the tale you spun. The tale of two trees. Yes. Yep. The tale of two trees. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it reminded me a lot of sort of, uh, parentage and, uh, child rearing. Oh. Uh, you know, the parent 
gives resources to the child as mm-hmm. it's growing up, but eventually the parent needs help and asks the child for help in return. Oh, I and see. The child now grown gives help back to the uh, the parent. I, I gotcha. I love I love that. Um, I love that story. Uh, shout out to Suzanne. Um, we'd love to have you on the pod. We'd love to have you on the pod. We know she's a listener. I think we tried at one point, didn't we? Uh, no, we talked to like a publicist guy who's, oh, okay. who reached out to us and was like, do you want Suzanne Samard on your podcast? And we're like, uh, yeah, we would. And then, and then we, he never followed up. Yeah, he never followed up. I think we followed up several times. So yes. Anyway, hit yes. us up. Uh, Paper Birch. I'm just feeling like a 4.4. I think it's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. It's uh, mi- yeah. below middling. Exactly. Uh, I, yeah, it doesn't It doesn't have enough of a... It has no appeal, which is ironic mm. because it's bark is... <laughs> it's a god... Uh, <laughs> uh, that was too much, Alex. That was our review of the Paper Birch. Kind of a stinker. Kind of too a stinker. Bad. I know. That's. I feel like I, this is always the worst part about this, where the, the story we tell... Hopefully, it's just everyone has stars in their eyes about becoming researchers and solving yeah, our crisis, yeah. and then all of a sudden, we're just like, but also, keep it in the forest, right? okay? Don't forget, people, these these scorings are arbitrary. It's time for a game. <gasps> One we love and adore. This is The Family Tree. <laughs> It's a common condition in this day and age For Casey and Alex to anthropomorphize a tree Is it Zeus of Olympus or Saruman? Some people say it's even Admiral Thrawn Deep cut You know there must be some kind of rules Inside this stupid game All we can see is an opportunity For a segment for completely arbitrary Maybe Jean-Luc Picard is an elm of some kind And the kid from Up is a Ponderosa Pond There's room for use and mahoganies There's room for the hosts to disagree It's a podcast game called The Family Tree Casey, here's how it works as always. Love that. I'm going to introduce some group of characters from some canon. It could be the cast of a sitcom. It could be uh, we've the Greek gods, the pantheon. We will then assign each of them a tree based on their personality, physical appearance, and characteristics. Mm-hmm. Casey, in honor of the paper birch, to give it a little bit of love. A little bit. We have decided today... Our family tree will be the characters from Dunder Mifflin, the paper company from The Office. Oh, the American version, I assume. <laughs> yes, I mean I would love to do the British version. Yeah. I don't have are you familiar with the British version? In almost no way. Okay. Yeah. Then we will do uh the you know the characters are somewhat similar, yeah, but I'm the kind um, of person who's like there's a British version. What? That's how much I know. I oh, just, I oh, know oh you British... know that there is a British version. Yes, and okay. that's, that's where it ends. God, what a great show. That, I mean, it's uh, one yeah. of the best. 
Um, however, a few seasons of the U.S. one were also good. Oh wow, uh, wow, wow! So Casey, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna talk about a handful of characters here. Let's start with one of my favorite characters from television, okay, of all time, Michael Scott. Michael Scott. He is the manager of the Scranton, Pennsylvania branch of Dunder mm, Mifflin. Okay. Uh, would you like to know a little bit about Michael? Yes, please. He's played by Steve Carell. Michael Scott is dumb. Mm, okay. He is childlike. He is inappropriate and obscene. Okay. He also is a sweetheart. Mm, he is okay. so tender and loving, mm. and he cares about his employees like they're his own family because he doesn't really have one of his own. Ah, he, I he see. doesn't have very many friends or okay. family that he loves. So he he's built this office, and he sees himself as sort of the dad of the office. But he's also a fucking dunce. Yeah, he's not that not that smart. That's what I know the most about him is that he's kind of. A dunce is the perfect word for it. Yeah. 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 Okay. He's a fool. Yeah. Uh, but he's a lovable fool. But he's, he's a lovable he, fool. He's a real sweetheart. All he wants is love. What do you think, Case? Ooh, okay. So the things I'm trying to pick up on is it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a dunce. It's a tree that everyone's kind of like, oh, oh my God. Like you roll your eyes a little bit. Yeah, at it. yeah, yeah. Um, but also there's some people who love it and it's one of your favorite trees, yes. you know, all the time. Everyone's like, ah, that tree. You can't, you can't yeah. stay mad at it, it. You can't stay mad at it, but you do kind of always get really mad at it. Mm-hmm. I think that it is is most like a Norway maple. That's, okay, that's what I'm calling for Michael Scott. Now, the the reason I'm choosing this is that the Norway maple is a tree that everyone hates. It's a, also it's a lovable tree. It's planted in almost every city across the United States, everywhere, all the time. Yeah, we clearly love this tree, but at the same time, everyone also almost unanimously hates this tree. Sure, they're like, this is the worst tree. It lets down so many leaves. It is stinky. I don't know why they say that, but they, I'm hmm. sure they do. Um, people here think it's, I mean, it's semi-invasive uh, in the uh, Portland area. It's not going to take over anything, but, you know, it's technically invasive. Some people think it's a, it's a liliopathic, which is not quite true because it's just a dense crown. So it's a tree that everyone's just like, but it's also like a little tree that's always kind of a, a bit of a silly tree. You see it and you're like, you know, like no one respects a, a Norway maple for being like, I'm a big Norway maple. Right. Right. Like, oh, shut up. No one cares. Interesting. Okay. That's a, that's what I see. But then there are some people, uh, my good friend Dan, who's just like, he loves a Norway maple. He thinks it's the best. He'll stand by that Norway maple until it falls down. Wow. I was going to say Japanese cherry. Oh, okay. Because, you know, uh, nine-tenths of the year, mm-hmm. it's just like a you know tree. Yeah, you're just like, oh, my God, I don't care about you. Yes. And then... Once a year, once in a while, it just stuns you, and it's so lovable and beautiful. Mm, and yeah. then a week later, it's back to its shit. And you're just like, oh, why did that not last? And then, yeah, <laughs> maybe in the middle of winter, you're like, just remember how beautiful it can be. Yeah. Okay. That, that was my that was my idea. That feels really good. I like that a lot. That all right. That feels good. I like it. I like the the aesthetic variety versus the metaphysical idea of it. Yes. Well, it takes all kinds. Casey. It sure does. It takes all cones. <laughs> it takes all cones. Uh, speaking of it taking oh. all cones, let's talk about Dwight Schrute. Oh, what a lovely, lovely character played by Rain Wilson. Yep. Uh, Dwight is a 
prick, I guess. Yeah, I think that's the yeah, that's he the way is to do it. Over competitive. Right? He is childish. Mm-hmm. He is annoying. Yeah. He is a stickler for rules. Mm. Uh he's a narc. He, he thinks his abilities are greater than they are. Huh. He has this weird inflated sense of himself. Yeah. That time and time again proved to be incorrect. <laughs> he thinks he's, you know, he this sort of like warrior type in yeah. the uk version uh the dwight character is named gareth mm. gareth keenan okay and he's a part of the he says he's he's in the army yeah but he's in the territorial army which is, i so it's like it, the comparison would be like a, the army reserve like he's never seen oh, combat see. and he probably never will gotcha but gotcha. he wears it's like a security guard being like i'm basically a cop oh uh, you know? <laughs> okay all right all right i see i see that makes total sense he's also incredibly loyal Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He also uh, owns and operates a beet farm. I don't know if that's helpful. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's so curious. So he's certainly not a leliopathic. No, he's like a he's like a weird like farmer nerd. Yeah, because he's really into beet farming, but he's also like into video games and probably like D and D and stuff. Oh god, okay, All and right. like karate. Okay. You know, this is hard. This is pretty hard. Are there any trees that are really competitive? And grow really fast, uh-huh. but then like will fall over in a in a rainstorm. Yeah, yeah. The polonia in the uh, in the the tree of heaven will do that. Oh, often. the tree of heaven. Yeah, yeah. There's also there's also one. It's another maple. It's called. It's another Norway maple. I think it's called the the crimson century Norway maple. That's that's what I'm going to call Dwight Schrute. Here's why. It looks beautiful, doesn't it? Uh. Yeah. It looks like the 1990s to me. It does. Perfect. That's exactly, that's a great example. It is a, it's another maple. It's actually a, um, uh, a, spe- or a variety of Norway maple, which I think is, I think works for me here. And it grows with this really dark purple um, foliage, which everyone thinks is so gorgeous. They're like, oh, we got to plant that gorgeous, beautiful maple tree with that really dark, really purple foliage. Yeah. But literally, you can walk by, you can find one of these trees in the city of Portland right now. Go walk up to it and shake it with your hand and the thing will just quiver because it never puts down roots. There you go. Like it will. You could knock it over if you tried right now. I love that. I hate this tree. This is my <laughs> least favorite tree I've ever seen. Wow. Anytime one is like newly planted in the streets of of Portland. Uh-huh. I really want to go and actually rip it up because it won't take any effort. You I could, like that. You could do it. A child could do it. That's great. Yeah, I think that works really well. And it's beet red. And it is beet red. How yeah, that's that? for sure. Yeah, but un- uncooked and boiled at the same time. Yes. Our next character. Okay. Let's go, Jim Halpert. Jim Halpert. Jim is, if anything, uh, you know, a straight man on this show. Okay. Uh, in this office full of loony bins mm, i see what you're saying he's, uh, uh, he's a straight shooter there yeah he's just like uh he's like quote the normal one mm-hmm. you know yeah uh i who's, guess who stays for too long yeah did you just read that no i'm just i'm just looking but i i happen to know like if, if you're the you know if you're the one who like gets it you why wouldn't you leave you right. Know? Why yes. is he still there? Totally. Well, this is what I have. I think there are probably he has his reason. Well, I, he certainly has one reason, which yeah. will be our next character. I see. Okay. Uh, Jim is. I don't know. Uh, I, I. I'm not a huge Jim fan. He's clever. He's. He's. He's intelligent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's also extremely petty and kind of a bully. Oh. Um. He is. Uh. 
he's not a real go-getter. He's fine underperforming. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, but he's... he has great potential. Ooh. I have I have a, I have maybe a oh, direction yeah. to go. Okay, take us. What about something that like is really beautiful but is just a shrub? Yeah, that's yeah, it's something that is fine just being a shrub. Yeah. But if it were a tree, it would be like a, a pretty cool tree. Be an amazing tree. Yeah. Uh, rhododendron. Hey, that's pretty good. That's what I say. Every now and then is beautiful but is not going to try to become a tree. Is always fine in the understory and uh and is, you know, kind of normal everyone's got one they're all there's a thousand of them some of them are outstanding some of them are just kind of pretty boring i love that casey all right all right okay I cool think that's almost the perfect answer a beautiful rhododendron jim yeah. halpert hit us up if you think uh if you think otherwise and then like a rhododendron if you go underneath the foliage yeah. you can see that it's single stemmed yeah like, exactly this could be a tree you could do this yeah what do you God, and you're just disappointed a little bit? That's the answer. All right. Casey, our, our final character here, uh, one, of my, one of my big high school crushes. Mm. I'm talking Pam Beasley. Pam Beasley. Ladies and gentlemen. Pam Beasley is soft-spoken, mm-hmm. very sweet. Uh, she's an artist. Yeah, I've always found that, uh, but like for lack of a better term, gets stepped on uh, a lot. For sure, she's the the butt of many situations. Mm, I think, yeah. um, especially with Michael, he treats her like a personal assistant. Yes, yeah. Um, she is an artist, but I would say she's in in the show. She's supposed to be like an okay artist. Ah, okay. she's like a fine drawer. You know, but, like not you're not gonna be like wow. You'll yeah, be like, oh, 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 she's not like an undiscovered wow. talent, but she's you know she she has a hobby. Okay, uh, a big characteristic early on is that she is in a completely loveless uh, engagement ah, with okay. a fool of a man named Roy. Roy, um, never heard of Roy. Roy. Sucks, and they've been engaged for like three years. Oh, jeez. And she, but she stays in this relationship because she. Uh, you know, doesn't be- in a way maybe doesn't believe that she deserves better, ah, even though she's in mm-hmm. love with Jim. They're in I love see. with each other, and that's been known for a long time, right? Uh, if, I think from the first episode, it's like these two are definitely vibing. It's very clear. Okay, yeah, yeah I see. Okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Oh. Now, ladies, Pam Beasley. Oh, I see what you're doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, what do you think, Case? Hmm, what I see here is is something that's understated. A tree that doesn't quite get what it needs and is kind of just kind of like walked on all the time, but, yeah. but can stand up for itself, but, uh, you know, also is, you know, isn't that pretty? Because it's art, it's not that good. She she does ah, also like eventually that. earn her courage. Uh, you uh, know. Doesn't she also later become a salesperson? Also, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And she she gets she gets the guy. Her and Jim get together. You know. Um, ah. Okay. She does call off her engagement in in in, a, in before this all happens. Wow. Know? Okay. Yeah. So she moves on. Okay. So yeah. she finds her courage and can then stand up. So yeah. this is a slow growing tree. Yes. That it takes then, her a while. Yeah, yeah. Then becomes a a full fledged a full fledged thing. Um, and it might not look like much until it has grown into itself, and then oh wow, this is a great tree. Okay. I love this game. This is so. I challenging. love watching you. Uh, not flounder, but yeah. you know, stretch stretch your uh, the, your knowledge of trees. Yeah, and like really, you got to think of a lot of different things here. Okay, okay. So at the beginning, it's not much, 
but then it can become something extraordinary. But it's still lovable. I, I don't want to. I don't want to paint a picture of her mm. that she's like a dud. Yeah. So the first thing she's so, very funny and, and fun. Mm, yeah, mm. she is. All yeah. right. So the first thing I think of Alex is um, it doesn't really fit, but I'm going to go with it anyway. It's the uh, longleaf pine. Oh, the longleaf pine lives its first like several years in what they call a grass stage. Wow. Where it just stays really low with this big poof of needles just kind of coming out. It looks like a, a literal like tuft of grass. And then a fire comes over and burns all the needles off. And then the next year, the tree grows like three feet. Casey, you don't even know how perfect this is. Yeah? Is can that I, good? Can I explain to you? You may. A fire comes through and right after that, it grows three feet. Yeah, and becomes like a full-fledged tree because it's just waiting for that fire because it knows it's going to come. There's an episode of The Office. Uh-huh. In season four, I want to say, uh-huh. called Beach Games or Beach Day. Okay. Beach Games, I think. Uh, where Pam literally works up the courage to walk across a bed of coals. She goes directly from there to Jim and tells him how she feels about him. No way. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then like a f- the next episode they get together. Oh God. You don't, you don't even know how great that is. Okay. Well done. Yes. There we go. Perfect. So yeah, Pam is, Pam's a long leaf pine. Pine yeah. is palustrous. She just needs a little fire to get her engine going and, and then she takes yeah. off. And then she just takes off. She shoots straight into the sky. Love it. Oh wow. How about that? Sometimes what it fun. really works out, huh? What fun. <laughs> that was family tree. I liked that one, Case. Yeah, that felt good. That felt really good. Yeah, I, that was that was a fun time for all. Okay. Uh, hopefully our listeners, too. Yeah, everyone's like, eh. <laughs> it, was, it was okay. Casey, it's time for a completely arbitrary Q&A. Okay, let's do it. Casey, this week our question is from Izzy. Hi, Izzy. Uh, they also signed Isabel, so let's say maybe Isabel. Uh, dear Casey and Alex, how do I make friends with the trees in my neighborhood and show them that I love them? Oh, that is such a sweet question. Yeah. Easy. Okay. I like these ones. It's easy. I know exactly how to do it. It's easy. Oh, okay. So it is, um, this is how I do it at least. And I okay. feel personally that the trees and I are on good terms. Yeah, you have a rapport. Yeah, so I would just go walking around. Many times, especially during the pandemic, I would just like get a beer and just like pop it and just go out to my doorstep and take a left Mm. and just go walk up and down the streets. You're going to feel a little bit like a crazy person because you are like just going to stop and look thoroughly at the trees that are around you. Okay. So I try to do it by identifying them to like note like the specificity. Like you see a yard, you see that yard a hundred times, but have you ever stopped and looked to see what is growing at each point in that yard? Mm. Where's it growing? How is it growing? Is it doing something weird? Is that a big old gigantic tree that everyone like didn't know about? Wow, there it is. That's how I found a bunch of different species randomly. And I'm like, huh, look at that. There's that, there's that tree right there. Yeah. It's just a block away, just like that. That is how I do it. The way you show them love is by walking around and just giving them literally the time of day. Hmm. I tend to do it on the weekends or a lot of times it was after, after work or something like that. I would just decide, hey, I'm just going to go take it easy. I'm just going to go walk for a little while. And I would walk until I'm halfway done with the beer, then turn around and walk back. That way <laughs> I always got back without being like, ah, I'm just, 
walking around with a beer or something. Um, anyway, during the pandemic, especially, you know, you couldn't go anywhere else. So that was like the easiest, best way to do it. Yeah. And just like take some time other than putting together a podcast. You know, that's the second best thing you can oh, do. Oh, right. We did that. Whoops. But the, uh, it was a lot of fun to just go out and like give a very like a directional, uh, or in, I'm sorry, unintentional, uh, gander at some things rather than just being like, no, oh, I'm going to go look at the trees, go and like try to identify it, see what's interesting about it, find if there's some fungus growing on the edge of it, yeah. and then move to the next one. You don't have to stop at every single tree, but maybe every time you see one that's even kind of interesting, stop and look at it and ask it its name, ask it what it's doing that day, that kind of thing. Are Walk you, around it. Are you of the mind that, um, because many people will say, you know, I think there there was a book about this potentially that like talking to your house plants, mm, yeah, giving them attention literally helps them grow more, yeah, or be- healthier. Are you one of the, Are you somebody who believes that that's mm. that is is based at, in at all in scientific? Yeah, almost like the power of positive thought to get your plants yeah. to like overcome their armillaria root disease and trees too. You know, yeah. like is hugging a tree really act does the tree even know i mean oh i've had that question before does the tree know you're hugging it yeah yeah well maybe i bet you the tree definitely knows you're hugging it does it know it's a hug probably not sure you know it's like you hold a a small wild animal does that animal know that you're like gently moving it from here to there or is it like i'm about to be crushed to death right who knows i'm sure the tree's not afraid of you i i think trees are very much afraid of almost nothing (laughs) but um I don't think so. Honestly, maybe the the closest thing is again the pseudoscience book we talked about the other day, which you were like, we gotta buy this book. Um, the what is it? The Secret Life of Plants or yes, something? Yes, yeah. Um, those uh, in that book, they basically say, and other places have argued that stimulation, literally the sound vibrations, mm-hmm. were positive. There's another study I think that read. If you what what music do you play that makes plants like house plants grow better? And it was like complex orchestral kind of things or like death metal. Right. And they're like, what do these things have in common? Like the only thing is that the number of like vibrations per second are really high versus like folk or something like that. Oh, interesting. So it'd almost be like a a a physical uh, micro vibration stimulus that actually creates a more of a growth in the plants. I don't know. Well, I like the answer of going on tree walks and appreciating trees. I, I at the beginning of this whole podcast, I did that exponentially more than mm-hmm. I had. I it made me feel good, and I actually I became uh, fond of many of the trees in my neighborhood. The yeah. specific trees, you know, exactly. Not just like um, I like this kind of tree, right? Yeah, that's the best way that I think to do it. The other thing would be take your friends on tree walks. That if you really want the trees to like know that you love them, have. A opportunity or take the opportunity to take other people out and be like, hey, come on over here. Let's just go walk around my neighborhood and look at all these trees and then yeah. have yourself a little tree tour. It's a bunch of fun. And people love to like interact with people and all of a sudden like, oh, yeah, whatever, this is going to be fun. And then they go out and all of a sudden you're like spitting off some knowledge. You're like, wow, everyone's like, wow, how, do you, how do you know this? And then uh, now you're advertising for completely arbitrary. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't do that. But that's that's what I would, I would always suggest, going out and bringing people to talk with trees about. Because if anything, you'll stop talking about the trees and you'll just have a nice conversation with your friend while you're walking down the street. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, thank you so much, Isabel, for your question. If you have a question about trees... Email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod at gmail.com.
Join us on Instagram at ArbitraryPod, or you can support this podcast on Patreon, patreon.com slash ArbitraryPod. You can join the Arboretum for two bonus episodes a month about trees and other related topics, or the Cone of the Month Club. Mm, get such a, beautiful cones. <laughs> get a unique die-cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist, printed by a small local printer, sent to you every single month with an info card and a lot of love. And please, if you love this podcast, rate and review us on your app of choice. It helps us a lot. Casey Clapp. Alex Croson. What do you say, guy? You know, this this episode, for me, has been a roller coaster of emotions. I agree. And I, I hope that everyone else is, 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 is okay. You know what? I certainly feel better now than I did at the beginning, right after we had spent five hours doing tax shit. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's it. You just got to talk about trees. Really, this has been therapy for you and I for the last several years. Mm -hmm. Feels good. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next week. Bye. Au revoir. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 